Well, it's time for us to do our long-awaited Rings of Power review, and here we go. It sucked. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, no, that's not true. I don't, we don't think it sucked. No, it's not, it's not, that's not true at all. I just thought that was funny. Um, <laughs> well, frankly, the, the fact that I, I waited until it came out to say it sucked, I think, puts me morally, personally, uh, spiritually. Far and above. Tangentially. 30% of the internet. <laughs> thematically so all the yeah exactly i'm better than ever uh, <laughs> but uh yeah so so aaron and i are coming to you uh at an ungodly hour of morning for me because it's burning yeah. hot outside but also because we're very excited to talk about rings of power we've largely withheld talking about it with each other until now but everything else we've like talked to each other as we've watched it um, this one's a lot more fresh, I think. I mean, we've obviously discussed a little bit just because we're, we don't, we don't do these blind. I don't think either of us has the background or the temperament to just say, oh yeah, let's just record and see what happens. We should try that sometime though. That would be fun. Starting off, uh, what did you think? Like, I think we both saw it the day it came out. So, you know, it's been a couple of days. What, what, what did you think of the show? Honestly, I mean, slow start definitely starts a little bit slower than I would like. And I was like, okay, but I liked it. I was, I was very pleasantly surprised and I, I don't mind it at all. And this is something that I've seen a lot of critics refer to, but it, there is something very wholesome about that universe that we haven't had for a long time. And just being able to return to middle earth. And it does feel like a return to middle earth, even though the actors are different, the music is different. Um, the, the design is very similar. The art and the um, just the general thematics of that world still feel the same to me. And so it does feel like a return. Not quite, it's definitely not the same as Lord of the Rings. Obviously nothing will ever quite reach that height for me. But it it feels nice. It feels good. Huh, see, like it's interesting because I did not feel, I still liked it. Didn't love it. Definitely didn't hate it. But it didn't feel quite like a return to me. I'm not going to say I liked everything about the Peter Jackson one either, but the Peter Jackson um, first three movies definitely are something I still like. They're, they're very comforting to me. They're, they're my comfort piece. Uh, the music is certainly mm -hmm. is. I've, I've listened to the soundtrack probably at this point literally hundreds yeah. of times. It is my go-to study music. Like when I have to do work or write a paper or something, I will literally start at the beginning. So, so I'm very, very immersed in this series, very, very much a fan of it. Uh, as well as, you know, reading the books every year. That being said, I, I didn't quite feel that this, I didn't feel like I was coming back to Middle Earth, but I definitely felt, I definitely felt like I was in Middle Earth. There were things I saw. It just didn't, it did not feel to me like it was um, Peter Jackson's, if that makes sense. And it didn't quite feel to me even like, because even when you read like, say, even though this isn't actually based on the Silmarillion, but when you read The Lord of the Rings and the Ho even The Hobbit, they feel like one thing. I think the Silmarillion feels like something else. It's kind of like Tolkien's take on the Bible. This kind of had that same, it was even more different, right? So the Silmarillion, I'm like, okay, but I can see how this leads into that. At this point, I can see some visual and musical cues and certainly some acting-based cues, but I'm not, for the most of it, I didn't feel like I was back in that world. What do you mean by musical and acting-based cues? Uh, okay, so... Well, Howard Shore did the main theme, even though Bear McCreary does the actual uh, does yeah. the, does the stuff in the does the actual the soundtrack. Show. Yeah, yeah, he does the soundtrack, and he's doing an admirable uh, job. It's not Howard Shore, and as much as I'm sad about not hearing any of the themes that Howard Shore built within this show, um, right? They're not they're not doing a they're not doing a Harry Potter where the next composer takes the same themes that John Williams came up with in the first three Harry Potters and carries them through. Um, Bear McCreary is using the same palette and I, I'm stuck on whether or not to be sad about or applaud his decision not to use any of the themes from Lord of the Rings. I'm, I'm this close to applauding it. It's just I don't love it as much yet. I think he's not as good at leitmotif as Howard Shore. To be fair, I don't think even Howard Shore is as good at leitmotif as Howard Shore is because if you compare, say, like the Lord of the Rings is masterful but I vividly remember this one scene in The Hobbit, the first Hobbit movie, 
where there's the showdown between Azog, the goblin, who shouldn't have been in that movie. We'll talk about that. <laughs> I tried to wipe it, him from my memory, so thanks for bringing that back. Next to, like, the scrotum go- goblin king. I'm sorry, that wasn't very family-appropriate. <laughs> scrotum beards! But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, th- th- there's a scene where Azog and uh, Thorin face off, and there's this musical cue where I'm like, that's a Nazgul theme. That appeared. That appeared. Yeah. S- two or three times in the original trilogy, and it was always a a symbol of the Nazgul. And I, I think Howard Shore tried to turn into, well, it's just you know black, dark, evil, kind of like how the, the you know John Williams um, used the Vader the, uses the Imperial March for Vader, but also sometimes for other elements of the empire. Right, well, because it's the Imperial March. It's not just Darth Vader's yes. theme. Like, he'll use the Force theme when yeah. there are no Jedi present, and you start to realize that the Force theme is not about Jedi specifically. For the way Howard Shore does leitmotif, which is even more... I think it's even more specific than a lot of uh, John Williams' scores are in some ways. As much as I don't love Wagner, like, he is Wagner levels of operatic when it comes to his... his yes. The delicate ways in which he utilizes leitmotif. It's like him and... Actually, Ludwig Göransson is, is getting pretty close. By the way, for those of who are not as musically inclined, leitmotif is basically like how their specific characters have um, themes. Right. It'll be a little sound snippet that kind of, sometimes it's not even a melody. Sometimes it's even a texture or a specific instrument that gets associated with, like, I just went, it was a National Cinema Day yesterday, so all movies were $3. I went and saw Jaws in IMAX. That's maybe one of the most famous leitmotifs in not just film, but maybe in music history. I think I think Williams popularized leitmotif in film scores, and I think that Howard Shore, I would say, almost perfected it in The Lord of the Rings, but he didn't do it as well in The Hobbit. And so th- that be- there's not really that in the music, but some p- ways that, that palette does still exist, yeah. and I can detect it. Um, in terms of acting cues, uh, Morphid Clark, who plays a young Galadriel, she does some things, not oh, like she's imitating yeah. Kate Blanchett, like but she is definitely, like, there's a lot of focus on the eyes, that she does a lot with her eyes. I don't think she's a bad actress. I'll say it right now. I, I don't, I neither, I don't get why Galadriel's in this. I don't like the characterization of Galadriel. I do not care about her plot. I think there was a smarter way to do that than they chose to. But I don't blame any of it on the actress, who I do think is doing a really yeah, good job and is great. hearkening back to Kate Blanchett in what she's doing. She is. I mean, we've said this before about other actors um, in other shows, specifically Obi-Wan, but she is doing the best with the material she's been given. And it, what's sad is that a lot of the other, uh, other storylines are being given much more fun material. <laughs> And I think that's kind of where, where the break comes for me is, is in some of the design as well. Um, and also the lack of familiarity. So, like, I'd read Lord of the Rings once before I saw it for the very first time. And I didn't, you know, soak up a ton of it because I was eight but or nine. But I had enough that I'm like, oh, I'm seeing things from the story. And, I, and like, mm-hmm. the, the, the book and the movies have always kind of interplayed in that. Uh, here there isn't anything like that. I, I, I feel much more unfamiliar and some of the, and thus maybe I'm just more free to just pay attention to stuff where I'm like, what the heck is that? Why is that there? So, uh, perfect example. The show starts, it's a flashback to, about Galadriel and her older brother, Finrod. And Finrod's hair is a fade. Most of the elves have short hair in this, but most of the male elves do. And Finrod's wearing a fade. And I'm like, that is a very modern haircut. Like, because I, I had a fade for a while. So I'm like, oh. Why does that? What is going on? Like, like it's not like I'm into this other world with all this intricate hairstyles and, and armor and stuff like they had in Lord of the Rings. I'm like, that's a dude in a robe with a fade. It feels very much like the modern era. It feels like I'm watching a show yeah. in 2020. There's a character later in the show. She's a a, a a human, but she's like, I actually texted one of my friends. I was like, this woman's arms are way too bare for this universe. Like, she looks like she's wearing. She looks like she's wearing overalls and no shirt. Are you talking about Arendir's, uh girlfriend? Yeah, I forgot her name. Um, her, again, the actress is fine, and she looks great. Like, she looks great physically. I'm, I'm not saying I hate her arms. It's just that it doesn't, <laughs> like, 
bare arms and shoulders isn't a thing that you see most characters doing. Not even the men. You don't see men with bare arms. She, she does not. She does not blend in at all with the other characters who are in around her. Yeah, it's just stylistically, it feels stylistically, it just feels a little wrong. Unless you were trying to indicate something about the nature of her character. For instance, really glad they didn't do this. But if this character was something of a rebel, right? If something of an of an Eowyn in that world, right? She was kind of a rebel. She liked to hang out with the guys, and you know, was an inventor or something. Where she actively went against cultural norms i'd maybe be more okay with her outfit not matching cultural norms but in this story she's just you know she's a healer and she's a mother um and so the whole like let's go bare arms and bare shoulders and cleavage just didn't make any sense to me especially when you don't see any other character in the entire show male or female unless they're like full-on orcs which tend to go with less clothing in general so Cover thyself up. I, I don't know that. That's that's not even true. It's just. I think that's a valid point. Not to cover thyself up, but, but like she didn't blend in with. It took me out of the world. Yeah. There were a lot of things. The same thing also like. Uh, so I think the first eighteen minutes of this show could be skipped. They could. They should have been entirely narration. You should have done like what they did with the Fellowship of the Ring, as opposed to like just telling and then showing for like ten seconds and more telling and it's like okay, like it, did not like it. Um, and in that first eighteen minutes. Um, there's you know there's Galadriel doing stuff that Galadriel explicitly never did in the show and sorry in the, in the books, um, including like fighting with this, in my opinion, incredibly stupid looking sword, and she fights a CGI troll that you know completely just, just kills all of her men immediately, but she you know kills it in ten seconds flat, and I was like it doesn't kill all of her men. It takes out it like temporarily takes out a few of them, but I don't actually remember seeing them dead. I guess that's fair because they they are later in the yeah in the, in the elves later scene, like the the, the mortality of elves is kind of a tricky thing where they just kind of heal on their own but okay I mean she did beat she it did beat the crap out of them and it took me out of it because I'm like it, it, all I could think of was I'm like this is reminding me of uh, both the Hobbit and Black Widow it's not reminding me it's not it's not making me think of like yeah what. I of more typical Tolkien, and I, and I'm picking on this scene because I think actually most of the later scenes did do a good job of making me think of the more typical Tolkien right. stuff, even if they did it in a different way. Yeah, for for the audience, just just to pull way out real quick, we are talking about things we dislike right now. But if you've noticed, we're picking on like people's haircuts, um, and and the way that like I I don't love that scene either. I have I have more big picture notes on the elf storylines and why I have trouble with them or why this, I would say not just I have trouble. I think the show has trouble with them figuring out how to do them. Um, We're complaining about elves for right now. So why don't you just do that? Well, let's, let's just, let's, let's talk about the, about what you don't like or do like about the elves from a, from a writing perspective or like that. Cause I th we can kind of like, there's three main plots. We'll say that this is our time for the elves. The time of the elves will, will close and then we'll move on to the time of dwarves. Yeah. And I mean, I will say I have no problems when they introduced the dwarves, I got really excited. Um, and then I was grinning my face off for the entire duration of the dwarf storyline. Um, and same goes for the Harfoot storylines. Those are where I feel like the, the genuine warmth and humor and kindness of the Tolkien world kind of shines through. I think where the show gets into trouble, and I, I feel like they may know this, is the fact that if you look at Lord of the Rings, if you look at The Hobbit, all of those stories are not told from the perspective of elves. They're told from the perspective of hobbits. Even the Silmarillion and Children of Hurin, when they get into it, they're mostly told, like where Tolkien starts characterizing more, when he starts getting more in the weeds with people's emotions and really allowing these things to come to life is when he's talking about the realm of men and, and women, not elves. Why? Because elves live on a wildly different timeline than everybody else. They live for thousands of years. And so their perspective is naturally, I don't know if Tolkien consciously thought this, but it kind of works out this way. Their perspective is naturally much harder for us as an audience to grasp. It helps that when you're interacting with an elf in Lord of the Rings, it's almost always from the perspective of someone who has a lifespan and a life more similar to ours. Um, 
because it allows us to get insight into the elf without having to try to be the elf or like sit in the elf's body. Elves are sort of on a different plane of existence and they're held at a distance in in all of Tolkien's work by and large. I mean, there are moments where he'll dig in a little deeper, but then he'll still speak about them in very mythic terms that still feel very distant. And the problem with this show is that by necessity, they have to get into elf storylines, which means they can no longer hold elves at a distance, which means they have to start trying to characterize elves. They have to start talking about their struggles and their flaws and all these things that naturally we don't associate with elves. Like there's a scene where one of the elves is kind of jibing another elf for this relationship he may be forming with a human woman. And I'm just like, an elf would never do that. Like nobody would be making bad jokes about who you are interested in. Like these people are ancient. <laughs> They're way beyond this. And I, I don't appreciate them making the equivalent of like bro jokes. Um, it doesn't feel right. Well, they even bring up um, Galadriel's older brother, Finrod, and they try to make it more like it was a revenge story. You know, like he was hunting Sauron and Sauron killed him. And then now she's hunting Sauron and he, she will kill him. Right. And you can do that in mythic terms? Sort of, but like in like literally like if you read the Silmarillion, Finrod's almost like an an semi-angelic figure. Like he he Mm -hmm. dies fighting Sauron, sure, but one, Sauron is not Sauron yet. Um, in that in, in that stage, also there's a song involved. Like they sing back, they yell back and forth at each other because again, magic in Tolkien's world is musical. And then like he's still like he, the 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 bat like there, there's you can really listen to this this there's an actual like song of the battle between them as well. You can even listen to it on Spotify. I'll put a link in. Um, it's it's he saves Barahir, the guy whose ring Aragorn wears thousands of years later, the ancestor of Elrond himself, actually, which gets into another problem with elves that you kind of mentioned. The timelines are just all sorts of weird. Um, But he saves Elrond's ancestor and springs him from prison, uh, in Sauron's prison, and then Sauron and he fight. It's, It's almost like, it's almost like Paradise Lost in a way, like the fight between Michael and Satan. It's not, you know... Which, which which was what the show I think the show almost has more like you killed my partner you sob like cop show right. vibes and and you know this is this is very much not how it's depicted in the lore right and I think that's regardless of whether or not they follow the details because I understand sometimes for the sake of telling a story in a cinematic format you need to do some altering like I I'm not one of those people who's like Tom Bombadil should have been in the movies. Because I can totally see how Tom Bombadil would have ruined the tone of the movies and been a side, like, it just, it was so cuttable. You do not need that at all. There are times where you need to condense the timeline. There are times when you need to pass over certain elements. I am fine with that. I'm not demanding fidelity of detail. But I think fidelity of tone and the the spirit of the thing, right? Spirit of the law, not letter of the law. And I feel like that's one thing they're having trouble capturing. And that's a thing that I think almost any show would have trouble capturing is these elves because they're being told from the perspective of themselves, which we fundamentally cannot get into. And so the only way to make them accessible to us is to bring the elves down to a more human level. So they are obsessed with revenge. They do sort of act like they live on shorter timelines because it's the only way to make them relatable to us. And it just kind of messes up elves by making them more human, to make them work for us as, a, as an audience. I'm not sure that I entirely agree with that. I, th- I, I, I mostly agree with it. I think that it's not just that they chose to do elves, it's the specific elves they chose. They chose Galadriel. Tolkien was very Catholic, and while he has his actual stand-in for the Virgin Mary in uh, the, the Valar Elbereth Gilthoniel, she's, much more, she's the ultimate Mariological right. figure. Galadriel also has a lot of Mariological features because Tolkien mm-hmm. hated allegory, so he's gonna, he uses these themes again and again. Certainly if you read Lord of the Rings, the way Gimli is devoted to her, she literally gives him a relic of herself. She mm-hmm. is very much like the Blessed Virgin Mary in Catholic and Eastern Orthodox theology. Yeah, I mean, Tolkien would fight you if you ever said that, but... I, if, if I said that he was, he was unconsciously drawing on these themes and they are present in this woman, he... 
well, he'd probably still be mad, but he might be less. He'd mad. still be mad. <laughs> Tolkien. Okay, for people who don't know, Tolkien famously hated people trying to like pick apart his work and figure out what each thing symbolized. Very against it, which is hilarious because now there's an entire field of literature study devoted to picking apart his work and doing exactly that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even sure I'd say she symbolizes Mary as much as she calls, as much as she calls back to Mary. Mm-hmm. And you can say this is her youth. And that's fine, but it really clashes with the character we see later. So now you're writing into, okay, now I need to understand how this wild, tempestuous, yelly, revenge-driven person becomes this borderline angelic Kate Blanchett figure later. I think if they picked some different elves, I, I think this should have been Celebrian's story. I think they should have, I think that they, they, should, they could have like kept Elrond so we have somebody who we are familiar with. Mm-hmm. And I think he could have been our POV character for the elves. And as when we move on to the dwarves, he is for the dwarves as well. But I think that it would have worked a lot better to have Celebrian, who is Galadriel's daughter. Because that's the other, my other problem with Galadriel is that like in the, in the first three movies, she's done well. In the Hobbit movies, they kind of have her sort of having a romance with Gandalf, which is just all which sorts of wrong. Weird. Uh, um, and now they kind of have her like there's almost hints of one with her and Elrond certainly they're they're not flirty but they're very informal and they're sort of informal that like just naturally in cinematic language I could see them going that way certainly it's, it doesn't rule it out but in the world of Tolkien she's his mother-in-law her, her, he marries Celebrian her daughter I think if you'd had, like, you could have had Galadriel as well, but as a more, like, you know, authority figure, you can have Elrond, who is half-human. You could have even brought that up, considering they're going to eventually... I'm surprised they haven't brought that up yet. I'm sure they will soon. I think they're going to save it. I hope they're going to save it for when we do the time jump and Numenor comes in, because his brother's the ancestor of all the kings of Numenor. Mm-hmm. So you have Elrond, we know him, but this is still young Elrond. And then you can have Galadriel, who's still kind of like Galadriel from the movies. And having her daughter, well, then we that makes sense that her daughter might be a little rebellious. Certainly her, her, her own daughter, Arwen, and then the two twin brothers who don't appear in the movies, they are more wild. They ride with men. They hunt orcs. I think that you could have done more with that. And that wouldn't be as much of a strain because it's like, okay, these are... We've seen elves do this before. This is maybe a right. little more personal than we've seen them do it before. Um, I just think the bro moment you referenced was just bad writing. Uh, but Horrible. Which, like, there's plenty of excellent writing in this show, oh, there too. Is. I don't know what was going well, on with just that one moment in particular. I, I think uh. I think Arundir, um is the best elf in the show because he's the most aloof. But we still can know what he's thinking. He still has feelings. He's just... An elf, and they live for thousands of years, and they, right. they actually they, – well, they live forever unless they get killed. They don't die. So I, I think it could have been done. I think that a lot of the problems you listed are more just they picked the wrong elves. <laughs> Galadriel's not a good choice. I think that's part of it, but I, I think you would just – you would naturally struggle with elves because Arondir behaves a lot like a – like he's, he's fine. I don't even love him very much. I found myself gravitating far more towards any storyline that wasn't elves because just tonally the elves were not working for me the way that the other arcs were. The Harfoots, delightful. Love them. Um, the dwarves made me laugh so much. The, the humans, like, I'm okay with them. I, I didn't have very strong feelings towards them or against them, but the elves were just like, that's the one you can mess up. But bringing up Arondir, I think, brings me to the other big picture note that I'm having is that there are maybe too many attempts to tie in to the Lord of the Rings movies. It's, it feels like they're a little afraid to have their own storylines, which is funny because like they, they actually only were able to get the rights, to the appendi- appendices, appendixes, appendices. Um, append- I know it's appendices, but like, I wasn't sure if people were going to hear that. Um, appendices, to Tolkien's work. So technically they don't really have the rights to any of the mainline stories um, that we're used to. And yet they're trying really hard with every storyline to be tying you into Lord of the Rings. 
every character is an ancestor of a character you know or is a character you know from the films. And they, and they did a very good job of casting people who, who bear close physical resemblance to those people, um, which is fine by me, but you don't need every storyline to be an ancestor. Like, that's, that's almost... I wouldn't say it's dull, because I find it very exciting, but I think you have, you have the freedom. Like, it's, it's like owning the Star Wars universe. You have the freedom to be introducing new characters into this world. And you should be fine on that. Like, and that's something, as much as I don't love all the new Star Wars movies, they at least started introducing new characters. And where they mess up is when they're like, and they're related to so-and-so. Like, Rey was fine for me until it, was, until it turns out she was related to Palpatine. I was like, really? Everybody has to be related to somebody else? Aaron Deere is maybe, Aaron Deere's storyline is the only one that doesn't, like, touch tie in directly yet to the movies and it's going to i just i know it's going to i'm not well actually okay so i have a prediction this will mean nothing to people who haven't seen the show but i think it will be fun to these predictions because we're going to do another episode at the end right so my prediction for arendir's plot is uh so he has that like sort of like there's a lot of yearning between him and the healer woman we were talking about earlier i have a suspicion that 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 really deep voiced child a child is like a bass voice. It's really concerning to me. That woman's son. He's going to be a Nazgul. He's going to be yes. a Nazgul. That is He's my okay. Be yes. I also think I also think he might be Arandir's son because maybe I don't think he might. Well, maybe he's Arandir's son. I don't know. But that my prediction is he that that kid's oh, going yeah. to end up a Nazgul. Absolutely, absolutely a Nazgul. Okay, um, cool. I'm glad I because like I, when, normally my wife predicts things immediately. She's she's much better at I am at detecting writing, even in real life, which creeps me the hell out. But, like, I, 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 this was the first time I'd got one over on her where I'm, like, looking at him, like, oh, that kid's going to be a not. Because, like, I, I believe we're going to have, like, about a 3,000-year time jump in the show because we're going to end up going towards, like, if they follow the timeline at all, the Nazgul had existed for at least 1,000 years before the War of the Last Alliance. Like, there's a lot of time they still have to yeah. cover. Well, they also have five seasons planned, so they may not. Well, but even in this it. season, they've already filmed stuff with Numenor. And they like, may be condensed, and they could also condense. They, the they could. I'm really hoping they don't, just because. I'd, and I they, think that's one of the more reasonable changes they would make. They they did, but they did say there would be a time jump, and I'm, I'm expecting okay. if, if anyone, it would be this, which would make sense. I think. Um, it would. It would just kill all the characters I love. Well, may, well, maybe, maybe not. I, they could if if they do the thing where we have like the first half of the season and then the second half of the season. Um, and they can close off the storylines well. Yeah. Anyway, with that, I think that I, I think he's going to be a Nazgul, and I think that we're going to start. I think that I think we're going to start seeing some stuff with the Arendir plot that actually doesn't. I mean, it ties into Lord of the Rings in a, in a sense because it's going to deal with the origins of things like the Nazgul, like the orcs becoming more what we know of them to be. Um, but I don't think. I don't think it's going to be as hobbled because we've never really explored that, at least not in the movies. And in some of the other Tolkien side projects that uh, have been successful, they've done that before. And it's been really successful because it's like, oh, we don't really know much about orcs. Let's, let's do that. So I think there's actually a lot of interesting stuff that could do. That's my prediction. Those are my predictions. I think, I think there is. I think for me the question is, is that within the tone of, of Tolkien's work? Because I am, I am very pleased with the fact that, by and large, except for the elf stuff, the show has managed to maintain the tone of Tolkien's work, and it's been rewarded for it in terms of the way that most critics have been responding. Like their their biggest praises, it's it's not House of the Dragon. Like women aren't getting raped right and left. There is a fundamental wholesomeness. There is there is evil in this show, but there is a fundamental wholesomeness to this that doesn't exist in most of the rest of media today um and and people find that refreshing my concern if we get into the orcs and we're talking about things that haven't even you know come to pass yet my concern if we get too deep into that you run the risk of game of thrones this show i think you do if you revel in it but i think i think the chance to just kind of discover the orcs because there was a ton of stuff about orcs that wasn't really covered in the movies because we they were not point of view characters but 
like because Sam's, uh, you know, we, Sam's a point of view character, and he wanders through um, the orc right. fortress, and, and he overhears like a orc uh, conversation, yeah, which is a weird break within Lord of the Rings that I find really fascinating. Um, that's something I noticed the last time I, I read it. I reread it over the pandemic, and I remember getting to that scene and just being like, "This is a surprising amount of interiority for orcs that doesn't seem to exist in a lot of the rest of." The thing, and it, it disturbs you a little. Well, Tolkien himself was a little bit upset about what he'd even done with orcs because he didn't right. he didn't like the idea of them being irredeemable. This is me just projecting, but I, it does make me think a little bit about the fact that Tolkien did serve serve in World War One, and that frequently British and German trenches were within hearing distance of each other, so you could hear conversations happening on the other side. You could hear, you could hear humanity on the other side. And that is simultaneously great and disturbing. Um, and I wonder if there's a little bit of that here where there's, it's not like, you know, giving the orc a sad backstory. It's certainly not that, but it is just, there is a fundamental humanness to the way that the orcs talk and behave. Well, they're, they're, they're corrupted. And that's, and that's what kind of, I think that, well, I don't think I know, like, we know from his writings that he was uncomfortable with that because then they weren't redeemable. Right. Well, Morgoth, which is the equivalent of Satan, um, Morgoth created, well, actually captured elves and then through torture and other stuff, black sorcery, turned them into the first orcs. Yeah. And, is how the story goes. And he was actually, Tolkien was actually thinking about revising it when he died. Um, so mm. the way, mm-hmm. he, he was uncomfortable with it. So I think that could still, as long as they don't revel in darkness... Or even if they just do it to like make orcs horrifying again, and that's let's use this to move on to the human plot because not that there's a ton going on with the human plot yet, but something I I really appreciated about that plot. The only thing I really super actively loved about it, honestly, was that it made orcs scary again. Because like I remember seeing the orcs in um, Lord of the Rings, they were terrifying because they were people. Like they were practical effects that felt like they were. This felt like something that if it burst out of your closet, you'd be absolutely horrified. Where and then you go to the Hobbit, and they're all CG monstrosities. They don't have any texture to them. They don't. The the orcs in Lord of the Rings are, for lack of a better word, like they're they're sticky and wet and gross, and there's mucus everywhere. They exist in a space as well. Like the CG orcs don't. Right, and there's a weird smoothness to them. Yeah, well, they, they, even the idea of like cultural ties, right. like like when you look at the arm, the appendices of the movies, like the orcs were designed to have different cultural signifiers. So that like the Orochai from uh, Sauron don't don't carry trophies as much because they're all brand spank and new. But then the the Mordor right. the Mordor orcs have a cult, have cultural differences from the Moria orcs. Like these were actually things they thought of. Like oh. Right. Let's give this. They had they had infighting about yeah, it. Yeah, let's let's the give Urukai them the and the the Mordor orcs. Yeah, and th- and they were visual signifiers of that, uh, and even the way it's shot in Rings of Power put me back more in that headspace. Like it, mm-hmm. you don't really even see the orc for mo- it's it's like a classic movie monster almost until um, you know the fight is over. That's when you see the orc. Uh, and you see their long hands, and you see their their fingers. It's it, it's it's very it's it's almost like Ridley Scott's Alien in a lot of ways. Right. And I it really feels it's very practical, and I mean they certainly had the budget for it. This this is the most I think the most expensive show to it, exist so in far in the entirety of human history. The most expensive show. C- so counting advertising budget and purchase of the rights, it's a billion dollar show. <sighs> Um, so they had the budget for it and I appreciate that they spent the budget appropriately. It feels like by and large, even the, even the CG backgrounds, like, cause it would have been very easy to build fakey looking CG backdrops. It's all the you buildings. Mean, you mean the, like the, they the, did for the Hobbit? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, the thing is like, anytime you get a big shot of like an entire city. Yeah. That's CG. That's def- They did not build that. Um, but it is beautifully rendered and it is done with an atmosphere that feels like it feels like peter jackson's movies as opposed to i don't i don't know and we'd have to bring on like a a visual effects expert but there is a texture to the way that they rendered their own cg backgrounds that feels 
better somehow than The Hobbit well, or than a lot of other uh, fantasy shows out and, there. And that's the thing, looking at some of it. And so, so like, I don't have much more to say about the men storyline, um, but we could use this to go into the dwarves if you want, because I know we sure. both like the dwarves. There's a, yes. we, there's a, they, we see Casa Doom. It reminded me at the very least of a f- several shots that from um, Lord of the Rings that were digitally enhanced, but I think they were using a model. I, I genuinely, it was one of the things where it's I'm, I possible. think they might have actually used an, a model that they, that, at the very least, they didn't just build it all in one CG program, like, and just go, oh, mm-hmm. we're just going to have a CG shot. They built it, like, if, if they did it in CG, they clearly did it piece by piece so that it, it has all the fine detail of an actual city. It's not like, say, a, a sweeping shot in a video game where you, you, know, you use your left stick and you soar the camera out and you're like, oh, cool, look at all that stuff. No, there's different spheres of activity. There's different people at different spots. Yeah. Well, there definitely is something practical in that because there's a lot of other dwarves in that scene, what they most likely did was they built out whatever those dwarves are standing on, walking on whatever's behind them they probably tried to build out. And then they get to take those pieces and put them into the larger CG structure because it's really hard and annoying to like render out the exact outline of a person it's a lot easier if you've built just part of the set so you have a block that you can pick up and move digitally um so that's my guess is that they built little pieces of it wherever there were dwarves interacting with the landscape that's where they built things practically and everything else can be cg and to be fair like we people did that even before cgi they just used to do with matte paintings right exactly Gosh, like that's a whole art form in and of itself. I loved the care, Sean. And the dwarfs, the dwarves, like everything I've said about the elves, none of it applies to the dwarves. I thought the dwarves... Freaking delightful. They reminded me more of the Lord of the Rings movies, in fact, than almost anything about the dwarves in the Hobbit movies did besides the music. In the Hobbit movies, they became parodies with these cartoonishly large noses. Right. They were sort of like Snow White dwarves. Yeah. Where you like, had like it, one big feature to define each of them. Except for our requisite three sexy dwarves. Like, so you Th- <laughs> Thorin, Feely, <laughs> and Kiri. You know, you have to have your sexy dwarves, and they look <laughs> too human. Um, the dwarves in this show look great. Um, yes, the female dwarves do have beards. They're just thin and wispy. So everyone who's fetching about that, go touch grass. Yeah, my uh, my friend Brian was pointing out. So so Disa doesn't really have like a beard per se, but you can kind of see she has pretty intense sideburns, which should count as a beard. I'm like, okay, that's fine. That's fine. Honestly, at that point, by the time Disa starts talking, I no longer care about her not having a beard because she is delightful. Like, I don't she is want to look so at fun. women with beards. I'm sorry. <laughs> like you also have to think of this as a visual medium. And if they had if they had the women, first of all, like I know it well Gimli says in that one line that they're often mistaken for dwarf men. And I'm like, okay, but think about how normal cross cultural comparisons go and you tell me that means they have to look the exact same. Well no, there are there are lines in in Tolkien where it's specifically referencing the beards. Specifically like that's why that's why it's often considered that they there are no dwarf women. Yes. Yes, but it also says point blank that they also hide their women. Their women are not yeah. seen by outsiders. Their women do not go outside because dwarves are incredibly xenophobic. So, in the sense of actual fear, not in the sense of they hate other races. Right. Um, and you can see the what's wonderful about that storyline is where it ties into the movies in a thematic sense. You can see some of that xenophobia at the start of the show. Yeah. It's kind of smoothed over later when that friendship is rebuilt, but you can see how easily that could start back up again. Yeah, and, and my last thing about the women and dwarves with beards is also like, if they given them like actual beard beards, we'd all just be put in mind of the greatest showman. Like we'd be- That's <laughs> true. We'd be thinking freak show. It would also take hours. Yeah. It would, it would just take so much extra time and you'd have to do it for every dwarf woman who shows up. Um, and Disa is delightful on her own. Like, and that's the thing is like, and in general, I think audiences, we're willing to forgive a lot if we love the characters. If you have emotionally engaged us, you can have CG problems. You can have plot holes. The fact is we already love your characters, which means we're already in. And so with the dwarves, I, Durin is so wonderful. And they, they do this bit. This is a slight spoiler. Where Durin acts like he hates Elrond and hates elves in general, and then in the end is just pissed because Elrond didn't show up to his wedding, wasn't there for the birth of his children, and it is this, like, fundamentally 
very funny, but also extremely like human emotion that I, I just, it, it warmed my heart. Like, oh my goodness. It did so much for me in that it tackles this, this deeply human emotion of like, I'm pissed at you and I'm going to do really silly things about that. Like to show that I'm pissed at you. But it also ties into how I, you know, about, it ties into the concept of friendship and it ties into this fundamental distance that there is between dwarves and elves in terms of the, the way that they age. Because elves fundamentally don't. They don't remember to visit. <laughs> I, they, think, I think it also did something in that it, it avoided, it, it, it's still tied to Lord of the Rings, but in a good way, in that it avoided having to do the same thing we've already seen. Like, sure, they, it takes them, like, all of 10 minutes of screen time to become friends again. Um, and even then, it's it's they were friends previously, and they have to repair their relationship. We watched three movies. In fact, this is one of the things I even hate about the movies. And, it, like, because in the books, like, Gimli and Legolas become friends after Lothlorien. And they become really good friends. And I think their friendship in the books is honestly one of my favorite parts. But in the movies, they went for the rivalry. Not a decision I agree with, but fine, whatever. It would have been so easy for them to go, oh, see, isn't this the same as Legolas and Gimli in the movies? And they didn't. They're doing right. something else. And I think that's a really smart decision because it's like we're not going to do the movies again. We're going to show you – we're not literally showing you, well, what would have happened? How would a Gimli and Legolas's friendship have gone on? But we're going to kind of answer that question of, okay, dwarves and, a dwarf and an elf are friends – now what? It builds depth. It adds depth mm-hmm. and character, and it does something. Yeah, it just it just builds more layers within something that we already understand to some degree, and I think that's really delightful. I like the introduction of who I'm assuming is going to be Mithrandir or Gandalf. Uh, I like how we're, it we're builds. Mo- we're moving on to the the Harfoots. Yeah, the Harfoots, if that's okay with you. I mean, I could talk about dwarves for the rest of the day because they're delightful. No, let's, let's, let's talk about our little... Let's talk about our little... So in the show, Harfoots are proto-hobbits. We have to explain what they are. They're so cute. Um, also, Irish people hate them for some reason. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I forgot about that. Irish reviewers are really mad <laughs> about the Harfoots because they all have, like bad irish accents i guess i don't actually i can't tell the difference between a good irish accent and a bad one um but i did read a review of rings of power from the irish times that was like 80 percent just mad (laughs) that the irish accents are inaccurate actually i did notice it in the show a little bit where i'm like oh so if anyone's whimsical and fairyish i guess they're irish because like sure like in the lord of the rings well they have to be english they are english Farmers, and incidentally, you even hear that in most of the, you know, most of the hobbits' voices. The one exception are the Tooks, who have a thane and live in the Highlands, so they're quite clearly Scots. But like everyone else has an English country accent. But look at their roads and stuff; that makes sense. But now that they've gone, you know, we're back in the early days, and they're feral. <laughs> they're <laughs> they're feral. <laughs> they've gone feral, lad. Um, they're, they're all <laughs> Irish. And I did kind of think of that. But this Irish Times review is basically like saying, you put them in Irish blackface and that's totally inappropriate. And I'm so mad at you. The rest of the show is great. 10 out of 10. But, oh, but I'm <laughs> mad. I guess that you have to. Like, that's, you, I guess, from a cultural perspective, you kind of have to do that. Um, but no, I, I found them, I found them delightful. And they are, I like that they're different enough from the hobbits we know in terms of, of, they're itinerant wanderers um, as opposed to settling down. That's interesting to me. And I just, I think the show really needs a sense of humor. And so it gets it from its dwarves and from its Harfoots. It's not getting it from most of the other storylines. The men are fundamentally very serious. The elves are fundamentally very serious. It is so refreshing. And I understand people were like, but the, 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 how would hobbits have existed this far back? They they clearly didn't, according to Tolkien. I don't actually know if that's true or not. I think it's entirely likely that maybe they didn't exist that far back. But I can see why, from a show perspective, you needed this. Like, they needed the breath of fresh air. And, again, the thing that makes Lord of the Rings work isn't... This is going to sound like Sackwitch. The thing that makes Lord of the Rings work is not its elves or its dwarves or its men. The thing that makes Lord of the Rings work is its hobbits. That's the one unique addition 
that Tolkien adds to like fantasy as a genre. I mean, he adds a lot of things, but that is he invented fantasy. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> High but fantasy did makes, not exist. The thing that makes Lord of the Rings work is that it is about literally the smallest, arguably weakest race of people doing great things. And if we don't have, I think if we don't have that, it doesn't feel like Lord of the Rings to us. No, I'd agree with all of that. And like from a lore perspective, I actually don't really have a problem with the Harfoots being there because like, okay, sure. Like they only be- get, people only become aware of them in the third age. But like, I don't have a problem with them having existed as these tiny little itinerant wanderers for thousands of years upon thousands of years beforehand because I was like, I'm sorry. Like, unless you're going to talk about he- like, to do otherwise, you'd basically have to say, well, they either sprung into existence out of nowhere, which doesn't make sense in Tolkien's world either. Uh, you'd have to invent their own creation story, which wouldn't work. And actually, Oof, and, yeah, Tar- and Tolkien that. would be very angry about that. Or you'd have to bring Darwinian evolution into the Tolkien world and say, okay, well, loss of genes in this one category, in this one subgroup you know, the, the, of uh, Rovanian men, the same men we're seeing here, because that's who the hobbits are the most related to, the northern, men, the, 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 the northern men who are not related to Numenor, they lost genes for height and gained genes for hair, and they became like that. And I'm like, okay, no, that would... I don't see a good way of having the hobbits. My concern with the hobbits, with the, with the Harfoots, is that they are going to literally end up being cut-and-paste hobbits, and I'm not sure how they're going to fit in these broader adventures. I'm willing to give it a chance. I think that's the fun challenge. I think that's actually, like, how do you how do you fold them into the larger story without just repeating Lord of the Rings? Or ruining the lore, because the entire idea is that, like, and the, and the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings is they've done jack all for like their entire history. That's kind and, of the point of hobbits. Their, yes, their whole they purpose is to stay out of big people's business. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Except for that one who was big enough to ride a pony and invented the game of golf by decapitating an orc. Right. He's a big hero, but also considered very strange and not your typical hobbit. We should stay far away from that culturally. And this is why, like, going back to that idea, if they split the season in half, I could see the Harfoot story wrapping up relatively early as we move to. on to other I things, want, I, I but need more. leaving with that idea of these are a people in whom there is a seed of greatness that will manifest, which is I think want the best to see thing. The to see. one that rides a pony and decapitates well, you, an orc. Well, that's Bullroarer too, and that was only about like I know, I know, but like <laughs> there, there are the there are hints in Hobbit history that they did you know, have to deal, not necessarily with greater events, but they did have to deal with incursions of orcs. They did have to deal with, I, I just mentally called them dire wolves, and I know that's not correct, but they wargs. did have to deal with They did have to deal with those, and I'd be very curious to see how that shapes that particular community. Having them be their own little isolated story, I think would be fine and be a really interesting way to look at these broader stories, like the rise of the Witch King, mm-hmm. What I'm worried they're going to do is have, oh, I'm Maria, and I'm Mar- and I'm Isildur's little friend, and I'm like, I don't want to. That would apt. I would be pissed. Right. I would be. Well, so that would pissed. just be. That would be feeling like you were copying Lord of the Rings, and I feel like they're gonna move away from that. I really Where they hope are so. going with what I'm just calling proto Gandalf is very interesting to me because that is one way they are starting to tie uh, the Harfoots into the larger story. I know you dislike this. No, I also don't think it's proto Gandalf. I'm very convinced. You don't think so? I don't. He talks to, he whispers to insects. Okay, he has so the thing where he can stand big, and everything gets very dark warning. and shouty. Big spoiler warning. Yes, big spoiler warning. Dude crashes down from the sky. The main Harfoot character finds him, hides him. He's a giant. The cinematography around it is amazing. They also managed to keep it funny, like which is really interesting. Their storyline doesn't turn automatically serious the second this guy falls out of the sky. They're still, like, bickering about what to do and then, like, shoving each other and then accidentally falling deeper into the crater where the guy is. It's great. Totally they mastered that. That being said, I think he's Sauron. What? Okay, well, I'm going to make a counter-prediction that that's Mithrandir and not Sauron. I think he's Sauron. My evidence being that, one, I just... I don't think they'd break lore as fundamentally as to change... uh, Gandalf's origins. I could see it being one of the blue wizards or something, but I don't I don't think so. I think I don't think they're 
breaking lore. They're just shifting where it is in the timeline. Well, he comes. He comes to. He comes to Middle Earth on a ship with all the other with all the other wizards in the lore. Okay, that's just changing the mode of transportation. I he also I he, he also comes well after the he comes well after the fall. Not only the fall of Sauron, but the fall of Arnor and Gondor as well. Like I he think comes. He, I think they can shift the timeline and the mode of transportation, but his uh, purpose is still the same. I th- his I th- method of arrival still speaks to the fact that he is, for all intents and purposes, an angel. But he lies, yes, a fallen like, um, angel who lands in fire and lands in the middle of a giant eye motif and whose fire doesn't burn, calling to mind the infamous, hold out your hand, Frodo, it is quite cool. Like, I think, and also, like, you mentioned the fireflies. He, you know, he, he Hold released, out your hand, Frodo, it is quite cool is about the ring, not the fire. Yes, he, the fire that surrounds Sauron, like, he, he, it's, it's, it's fire, but it's not, like, burning. There's no heat from it because there's nothing, like, at all good from it. I also think, like, you mentioned the fireflies. He kills them. He drains their life force. That's true. But then he does the shouty thing. Like, he does the, the thing that Gandalf is very famous for in the, in the movie. And they do it in almost exactly the same way, where he seems to get taller, his voice gets deeper, and everything around him, like, seems to cave in and grow darker. It's a very Gandalf thing. Also, he looks like he looks like a younger Ian McKellen. I think they're baiting and switching us. I don't think he's a good guy. Uh, I, I, I think he's probably Sauron. He looks really upset when all those fireflies die, though. And it's not like Gandalf isn't capable of destruction. That is true. He's, in fact, very destructive. I think the reason why I think he's Gandalf is for thematic reasons. Because we never understand... Like, it's never explained in Lord of the Rings why Gandalf has such an affinity for hobbits. It's sort of like played off as this tobacco. joke. He yeah, likes tobacco. Yeah, it's played <laughs> off as this joke of like he likes tobacco. But the fact is Gandalf consistently chooses a hobbit and shoves them into larger affairs of, of the wider world. He does that twice. He's very insistent on protecting. It's almost like Superman with like planet earth it's like he's very protective of the hobbits he's very interested in nurturing them as a culture and in right and he takes an interest in and nobody else in the entire world does well they actually and this would be a very interesting explanation for why so the last thing i want to talk about really quickly is and and honestly we could talk about it at, at length but i just think we'd end up harping on it and honestly i think we're going to talk about it again at the end and that is fandom and i think this can actually double as the fetching corner for both of us because the, the fan this amazon is not letting people review this anymore They've, they're temporarily shutting down reviews because people review bombed without watching you know you you spent you you prepared for this by reading reviews i did my typical you know s- s- psychologist amongst the apes uh <laughs> dive into online communities which i which i still maintain is probably not good for your mental health no i mean yeah well uh, no probably not and just <laughs> the things people were talking about fr- like it's, it's all about anger and outrage you know they talk about cancel culture because a lot of the, the hatred of rings of power is coming from people on the right wing and they're saying they're gonna tear it down by everything that's good and pure about this you know, well, this was a myth for Europe, and why are there black people in it? And I'm like, because it was a myth for Europe. Like, if you, like, I, I'll admit, if they start bringing in, you know, black elves who get enslaved by the white elves and who get freed by right. a very tall elf with a chin strap, then yes, they have gone, you know, way too far. But the fact that there are people of color in this before you even saw the dang show. And your entire thing is, I'm not racist. I'm not racist. But this is a European myth, and I don't want black people in it. Okay. I, I think that argument could potentially be made in good faith. I just haven't seen it really done by anyone yet. Right. And it's not a reason to not try watching the show. Because this is essentially a casting decision you don't like, which is fine. But, like, generally, I boycott a, a movie based on casting only if, like, I know that actor is guilty of you know, assaulting women. That's when I'll not watch something. I don't watch Roman Polanski films. Same reason. But th- th- everything about this was like, don't even watch it, that we know it's bad, we don't need to watch it to be bad because we saw it in the public publicity materials. Admittedly, a lot of the publicity for this show I thought was absolutely bonkers. Um, I'm not going to pretend that a lot of that stuff didn't color my perspective going in. Like I went in with like, okay, this could be good. 
could be really bad too. Let's see what it is. I don't think there's anything wrong with not going in overwhelmingly enthusiastically. But the fact is you still went in. Like yeah. you still watched it, it. Because the idea that I am entitled to an opinion about a show, I can just know. I'm like, D- did you never told not to judge a book by its cover? There's a, this really annoys me when people use social psychological terms inappropriately. It annoys me even more when they lecture me on it. And, and one of the biggest things is groupthink. Oh, that's groupthink because you're agreeing with a group I don't like. And I'm like, that's not what groupthink means. Groupthink is when you don't tolerate outside voices. You throw them out. It's called mind guarding. Um, you have delusions about your own group's righteousness. Uh, you, have a, you, you believe that there's a terrible, awful outsider who's trying to ruin everything good, and therefore you make dumb decisions. Does that sound like the people who are saying give this a chance, or does that sound like you? There is also, and it's called bias blindness bias, the idea that because I know the words to describe something, I therefore do not, I therefore will not fall prey to it. Like I'm immune to it somehow. Yeah, I know what groupthink is, I won't do it. And I'm like, uh, social psychologists fall prey to groupthink and confirmation bias all the time. And we literally study this crap. So you think that because you know the words groupthink and confirmation bias, you aren't going to exhibit them? That drives me absolutely nuts. And <laughs> the fact that it's done online, I'm like, great. So now the algorithm and the, and, and the groups you have choosing to join are just making you even more convinced and, and reinforcing your dumb opinions. And it's like, I, I do think it's unfair to call Lord of the Rings the most toxic fan, fandom out there. I do think that's unfair. Yeah. Um, I think actually there's been a lot of response from the other side that I don't like with calling fandoms toxic because I'm like, uh, you're just taking the worst. You're nut picking. You're taking the worst yeah. and you're assuming that the loudest who are the worst are doing this. Um, you are that, by doing that, you fall prey to availability heuristic and saying, oh, I can remember, I, I can easily think of them. That's who they are all like. And we'll talk, I'm sure, a lot more about this in our second episode about Rings of Power or our third if they do something nuts. Um, but it's, it's, it's my biggest fetch. It's like wandering, walk, com, coming out of the show, I'm like, okay, maybe a high six, low seven, totally willing to watch again. Do not feel like they went and took a leak on Tolkien's grave. Like, y- you people need to go touch grass and maybe then you will know the sweet embrace of a woman that you seem to have been denied and that you are projecting this frustration, this incelish frustration. And it is incelish. Oh, when are they going to start putting the porn in this show? Because it's Amazon and you know they're gonna. And I'm like, Nobody talked about that. And yet one of the right. top reblog fan posts about this, like literally well over 250,000 reposts, was, was something was to that effect. Like, well, you know, can't wait for the, for the people to still defend the show when Amazon's putting porn and pedophilia in it. And I'm like, at some point you're projecting, not to sound Freudian, but you are projecting onto this yeah. show. So there, there I fetched. <laughs> I mean, and I will say for anyone who hasn't seen the show, give it a shot. Um, and, and it's not perfect, obviously. And if you go in looking for ways they, you know, pissed on Tolkien's grave, I'm sure you'll find something. You always find what you're looking for. But I think go into it knowing that, like, I actually, I, I, I've met some of the people who work on this show. Um, I've talked to some of the people where I'm, I'm not friends, but I'm acquaintances with a couple people who've worked on this show. They love Lord of the Rings. They, they truly love this world. They have put so much time and effort and dedication into doing their best to bring something that is faithful to the spirit of what Tolkien um, was aiming for. And I think by and large, they've succeeded. And I think that, especially in a world that seems to laud sex and violence, um, I, I think what they're doing is really admirable. And it's And I saw an article talking about how it's actually a crazy bold move to make a show this big and this expensive and not be showing boobs everywhere. Yeah. Like they were saying it's actually a huge risk to not give in to the modern tendency to show a lot of skin. And I think that's admirable um, that they are willing because they, because they care about Tolkien and because they care about the, the tone in which Tolkien's stories are told, they resist doing that. And to me, that it shows that there was intent because I've seen plenty of other Amazon shows where they do do the gore and the boobs. Like, yeah. The Boys is nothing but. I mean, a lot of fantasy these days is gore and boobs. Yeah. Um, and again, like, I'm, I'm not saying that those shows aren't worth anything or that those shows are garbage because of it. But it is very... When you see... I think when you see a movie or a show that does something decidedly different and refreshing, 
I think it's worth lauding. There are movies out there like Nope, like Everything Everywhere All at Once that are doing something decidedly different and they're trying to say something important and they're doing it in a way that's different than the folks around them. And I think those people at the very least deserve our respect and at least deserve a watch. They, they, they <laughs> I think it's worth watching their show, even if they don't do it perfectly, even if they do it kind of strangely, they are trying to do something different and they are trying to say something important. I think, and even if you don't like it, like you and I disagree on plenty of movies. There are movies that you like that I don't and vice versa, but to moralize it, like it's, ver it's value signaling. Cause I don't think either side does actual virtue signaling. Uh, virtue signaling is just using virtues to signal value. Congratulations. For some reason you get your identity out of hating rings of power. That's sad. Touch grass. Um, but please don't make the mistake of thinking that you're not value signaling but saying, look how much I hate it and you like it and that makes you a bad person. I'm like, it is annoying when people do that on Tumblr and it is an, and, and pe when people on the left wing do it and it is annoying when people on the right wing do it. And that's what this is. And fundamentally, like, look, if you like it, great. If you don't like it, great. It's a piece of entertainment. Just don't like, demonize people over it. And you don't need to base your whole personality on it either. It's yeah. just... I mean, I already based too much of my personality on Tolkien, but it's yeah. fine. It's fine. Yeah. I don't, I don't lambast people on the internet for it. And we have the nice good thing of the fact that we'll be back to talk about this with another episode whenever this show ends. So until then, clever outro here. Clever outro here. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. <laughs>